You're very kind in your welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, great to see you. Great to be down here. And um, I trust everyone is doing well. Although, uh, I don't know, was anybody, did anybody share in my foolishness by staying up a considerable amount of Thursday night? Just put your hand up if you stayed up beyond your normal bedtime to watch the election results unfold. Did anybody stay up all night? Yeah, okay, there are some. There are some nutters like me. Um, it does strike me, though, that whatever your view of what happened on Thursday night, whatever your view of politics, whatever your view of the government, it strikes me as rather a good time to be starting a series on prayer. And I'm really looking forward to this. I'm so looking forward to this season of 40 days, prayer and fasting. Um, they have been such powerful times in the past. Those of you who've been here for more than a couple of years, you'll remember back to the last one, and we had one before that. Such powerful, profound times in the past. And you know, I really, personally, I want to I go deeper with God than ever before. And as a church, for us to go deeper with God in prayer than ever before. And, and, and let's all approach this time with that kind of expectation, that that God is going to do things. He's going to do big things in our lives, in our church, in our town, through this time, this season of prayer. You know, let's have the expectation that by digging into this theme, into this theme of prayer, the power of prayer, and by putting it into practice, which probably is something the vast majority of us don't find all that easy, but that by using this opportunity we've got before us to, to really dig in and explore this prayer individually and together, corporately, that through that we will get closer to God, that through that we'll learn new things about him, we'll learn new things about ourselves, and we'll go deeper with him, and we'll see his power at work, and we'll have a renewed confidence in the power of prayer. But of course, prayer, it's actually not a very easy thing to speak on. It's a very wide topic. It's a very diverse thing. There are many different ways to pray. There are different purposes to prayer. And so we'll be aiming to cover a breadth of all of those things over these next few weeks to try and build a kind of a big picture of prayer and how that should look or how that could look in our, in our lives. So today the theme, as Ron said, is why pray. That's what we're starting off with, kicking off with why, why pray at all. You know, it's a great question. And then next week we'll be moving into all kinds of prayer. So Paul says pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayer. So we'll be looking at well, what are some of these all kinds of prayer? What, what, what does that mean? Then we'll focus in on the Lord's Prayer and we'll spend a week on that. And then into hearing God in prayer. How do we, what does it mean to listen to God? How do you hear God in prayer? And then we'll be looking one week at praying together and praying alone. And then our final week will be focusing on persevering in prayer. And along the way, with all of this, we'll have the opportunity to explore all of those themes in a deeper way to really ground them by using these daily notes, um, which I'll say a little bit more about in a minute. We'll all be getting these um, later, but these notes go along with the series. But I would say that a key aim, apart from praying, a key aim of this time is to set patterns in our lives, is to set godly habits. You know, psychologists say it takes 40 days or six weeks to break a habit or to form a new habit in our lives. And so we want to we be setting new habits in our lives, godly prayer habits in our lives that will bear much fruit, good fruit, in our lives and in the church. Now, before getting into the answering, trying to answer the question, why pray? I've got some practical things I need to go through, some practical details about the 40 days, but it is, it is important. So, as we said, towards the end of the meeting, everybody will be given one of these, and there's one each, so do take one each, okay, because it's intended that we do this on our own as well as together, so one each, 
each day, if you can put that sample day up, you can't read that, I'm sure, but each day, just to show you the structure, each day starts just under the title there, there's some scriptures, there's some Bible verses to read. Please do read those before going into the notes. I know it can be tempting to get straight into the notes sometimes, but the notes relate to the Bible verses, and so they won't make a lot of sense without them. So do spend a bit of time reading those. Then you have the notes to sort of consider and read and digest, followed by a suggested response. And obviously it's up to you whether you do that or how long you spend on that. But again, I just want to encourage you, let's go for it. Let's decide, actually, you know, I'm going to spend time doing that. I'm going to spend time considering that suggested response. Let's challenge ourselves uh, on this. What you also have at the bottom of each day, and again, you won't be able to read that probably, but there's a little grey box. And at the bottom of each day, apart from day one, on every other day, there will be one of seven church-wide prayer points to pray for that particular day. So every Thursday, we'll be praying for the same thing. Every Friday, the same thing, okay? And repeating each week. So we'll all be praying for the same things at the same time. Now, day one is tomorrow. So day one starts tomorrow. And day one in the book that kind of stands alone in that, so it will be on day two that we pick up the theme of why pray, and then for the rest of the week. But day one kind of stands alone in that it's aimed at generating some personal prayer points. We've called them Jericho prayers, and you'll see why when you read it in the book. But personal prayer points for you to be praying throughout the 40 days and, and beyond. To get the most out of this time, I would really encourage you to set a time aside regularly each day, whether that's 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever's going to work for you, but to set a time that's going to be uninterrupted and free from distractions to be able to really focus in on this. And some of you will already have that kind of pattern in your lives, but for others, it's a great opportunity to set that pattern, but you do have to make the decision to do that. And I don't know, maybe set an alarm on your phone or something like that, but just let's make the effort to set a regular time where we know this is, this is our prayer time, this is our 40 days prayer time. Just heard this about the midweek meeting coming up that Ron talked about. Uh, I would endorse, Steph Liston, don't miss, he's an excellent speaker, I don't want to build it up too much, but he, Steph Liston is brilliant, our young people will know all about Steph Liston. Fantastic speaker, do be here. But these meetings in general, these midweek meetings, are so important. It's an opportunity for us to gather as one church. You know, we have three meetings, two here, one up in Hazelwood. This is an opportunity to gather as one church and encounter God powerfully to worship and to pray. And we are going to pray on those evenings, but it will be, there'll be powerful times. And if you've ever been to one of these 40-day celebration meetings before, or you've been to one of our recent encounter evenings, you'll know those are times not to be missed. They're powerful times with God and together as his people. Uh, most small groups have stopped as well, and so there's an evening freed up. And so I just ask you, make it a priority, if at all possible. I know there's obviously childcare issues and all the rest, but make it a priority, if you can, to be here for those meetings. And as Ron said as well, it's on the day of those midweek celebrations that we're inviting people to fast. Um, if that's appropriate for you. Now, there are in, there's information in the booklet, right at the back of the 40 Days booklet, about fasting, guidelines and that kind of thing. So if you've never fasted before, have a read of those. If you have fasted before, have a read of those because it's a good reminder of, of why we fast. And you know what? While fasting is not easy, it's not something I find easy at all. Okay? It's not easy, but I do want to encourage you to have a go, to do it if possible. I read this quote about fasting this week. It said, fasting is designed to channel and express our desire for God and our holy discontent in a fallen world. It is for those not satisfied with the status quo, for those who want more of God's grace, for those who feel truly desperate for God. I want more of God. 
I need more of God. And so I'm going I'm to be fasting, and I'd encourage you to, if you've never fasted before, have a go, give it a go, and, um, but do read those guidelines at the back of the book. Final practical details before we get into our topic today about getting involved in this. If you're on social media, let's use it well. Let's use it wisely. Let's use it in a positive way to share our thoughts, to share encouragements for one another. Use that hashtag KCHW40Days. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. Um, there will be a prayer room as well available for people to use on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings, eight, no, 7 to 8.30 a.m. in the West End Hall, just out the back there. You'd go in the entrance of the West End Hall around the back. Um, it's not an organized prayer meeting. It's not a coordinated prayer, you know, group prayer, prayer. It's a space to go and use, a prayer space to go and use if you want to go and pray alongside others. Okay, so do take advantage of that if you, if you want. Finally, if you prefer to receive the daily notes electronically, um, you can download the whole booklet off the website, but also you can sign up, as you can see there, for daily emails to get the notes emailed to you. All that information is in the book, so don't worry if you haven't remembered it there. Right, deep breath. Why pray? Why pray? It's a huge question. It really is a huge question. It's probably one we've all wondered about, and maybe we continue to wonder. You know, why, why pray? It's also a very difficult question to answer, because what does pray mean? As I said before, there's lots of different ways of praying. There's lots of different purposes to prayer. So it's quite a difficult question to, to define what we're talking about. Are we talking about kind of that very focused prayer during a quiet time? Or are we talking about uh, the more informal prayer throughout the day? Are we talking about asking for things or are we talking about listening to God in prayer? Prayer is multifaceted. There's so many elements and so many different layers to prayer. So here's something I read this uh, week from Pete Gregg. Pete Gregg leads the 24-7 prayer movement is just a great illustration of the different layers there are in prayer. So he says this, the great theologian Karl Barth said that prayer at its simplest is just asking. In fact, Jesus said that we should ask the Father who loves to give good gifts. At this initial level, prayer is a kid who wants a PlayStation. It's, it's Valentine's Eve on a school night. It's a soldier going into battle. It's a mother with a dark diagnosis in a hospital chapel. But at a slightly deeper level, asking gives way to listening. And slowly we still our souls and prayer becomes less transactional, more relational, more conversationally attentive. And then at its deepest level, prayer may move less often than we would like beyond conversation. It's not that we run out of words, but rather that they become unnecessary. Communication becomes communion. It's a baby asleep in her father's arms. It's an elderly couple sitting in deep, comfortable silence until at last the clocks stop. Gradually there comes a profound awareness of God's presence. Eternity breaks in. It is a moment of becoming. And all those frantic prayers wrestling for a blessing give way to resting in the greatest blessing of all. And all of those things are true of prayer. And you know what? If that's what prayer is, well, we want that, don't we? That communion with God, that depth of relationship where no words are necessary, but you're just in his presence. We want that, don't we? So why do we give prayer so little attention in our lives? And I'm generalizing here. I know we have people here who really pray. But I'm working on the assumption that for the vast majority of us, me included, we can often feel a bit of a failure in prayer. That we don't pray enough or we don't pray deeply enough. So maybe the question that we have to answer first before thinking about why pray is why don't we pray? 
Why don't we pray? What is it that stops us praying? Some people would say time. Time. I just, I just don't have any time. Life is so busy. I, do you know what? I don't really buy that. I don't think that is the real reason because you know what? We will, as busy as lives can be, we will always make time for what is truly important for us. We will make time for those things. So if we're not making time for prayer, if we're not finding the time to pray, what it indicates is that prayer actually isn't very important to us. Now, why would that be? When we're clearly commanded to pray, Jesus says, when you pray, he, he models a life of prayer. More on that on day two of the booklet. But why would something that is so important for Jesus not be important for his followers? I read something this week in the book, this book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller, very good book. Um, and it really struck a chord with me, and I trust it will with with others as well. So he's describing a scene where he was on holiday with five out of his six children, and his wife was at home looking after one of their daughters called Kim, who was autistic. And one of the uh, effects of her particular autism was that she couldn't speak. In spite of many years of speech therapy, Kim, their daughter, couldn't speak. So he says, I was walking down from our campsite to the caravan when I noticed our 14-year-old daughter, Ashley, standing in front of the van, tense, and upset. And when I asked her what was wrong, she said, I lost my contact lens, it's gone. I looked down with her at the forest floor, covered with leaves and twigs, and there were a million little crevices for the lens to fall into and disappear. And I said, Ashley, don't move, let's pray. Let's pray that we'll find it. But before I could pray, she burst into tears. I said, what good does it do? I've prayed for Kim to speak, and she isn't speaking. Prayer was no mere formality for Ashley. She had taken God at his word and asked that he would let Kim speak, but nothing happened. Kim's muteness was testimony to a silent God. Prayer, it seemed, doesn't work. And I wondered, does prayer make any difference? Is God even there? Few of us have Ashley's courage to articulate the quiet cynicism or spiritual weariness that develops in us when heartfelt prayer goes unanswered. We keep our doubts hidden, even from ourselves, because we don't want to sound like bad Christians. No reason to add shame to our cynicism, and so our hearts shut down. Why don't we pray? Well, probably because at the heart of it, and for various different reasons, we don't really think it makes a difference. And we might not articulate it as bluntly as that, and certainly our levels of faith and belief go up, as well as down, we have times of great faith and we have times of doubt. But what he describes there, that kind of cynicism, I can certainly at times relate to that. Like something that's just swirling and lurking at the back of your mind. A weariness, a cynicism, a doubt that can exist. And you know, I wonder if you can identify with that as well. And you know what, when we have that cynicism in our mind, when we have that sort of swirl of doubt and cynicism, that affects how we pray with a lack of power, with a lack of conviction, wondering where God is, mind distracted by everything that you've got to do that day. And so you end up stumbling through prayer, falteringly, hesitatingly, stumbling through prayer, thinking, I'm not very good at this, I don't really know what I'm doing. And then you feel guilty and you think, well, what is wrong with me? Because other Christians don't have this problem with praying. You hear about the great prayers and how they're dynamic prayer lives. Well, other people don't have this problem and you end up giving up after five minutes because you feel such a failure. And then that sense of failure leads you to not even try in the future. 
It's this sense of cynicism that can cause us to question when we hear about an answer to prayer or a healing, would it have happened anyway? Did, was it, did prayer really, was it prayer? Or was this a coincidence? Would this have happened anyway? It's that cynicism that can, and, and doubt that can make us reluctant to pray for someone else, to pray for someone's healing, because what if this doesn't work? What do we do with that? And so it seems easier not to pray. So Paul Miller goes on to say this, praying exposes how self-preoccupied we are and uncovers our doubts. And referring back to the prayer for the contact lens, he says it was easier on our faith not to pray. You know, because what if, what if we don't find it? After only a few minutes, our prayer is in shambles. Barely out of the starting gate, we collapse on the sidelines, cynical, guilty, and hopeless. I wonder if you can identify with any of that. If you can't, bless you, keep doing what you're doing and, and, and teach us. But I do suspect that many of us recognize something of what he's describing there. How do we counter this then? How do we counter that cynicism, that doubt, that unbelief that can so hamper our prayer lives, it can stop us praying? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that this, the Bible, is the word of God? Some of you do. Do we believe that this is the word of God? God who is strong, who is good, and God who cannot lie. This is his word to us. This is his, the God who cannot lie, this is his word to us. So let's look at what this says about how powerful your prayers are. Okay, I'm going to look at Revelation chapter 8. And verses 3 to 5. It'll come up on the screen here. It says here, Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Whew. And now this is in, this, in the context of final judgment, the kind of wrapping up of the world and... It's in this sort of quite strange apocalyptic language and, and imagery. But central to this scene, this incredible scene, is what? The prayers of the saints. And the saints just means all of God's people, all of you, all people around the world. The prayers of the saints. Now listen to what a couple of commentators say about that passage. Leon Morris says this. Before the angels blow their trumpets the prayers of the saints are offered. This is not an unrelated parenthesis. John means us to see that the prayers of God's people are supremely important. Even the cataclysmic judgments which follow are held up till these prayers have been offered. Indeed, in a sense, it is these prayers that set the judgments in motion. Prayer is not the lonely venture it so often feels. There is heavenly assistance, and our prayers do reach God. Wow. That's encouraging. Listen to what somebody else says, another commentator. What are the real master powers behind the world and what are the deeper secrets of our destiny? Here is the astonishing answer. The prayer of the saints and the fire of God. That means that more potent, more powerful than all the dark and mighty powers let loose in the world, more powerful than anything else is the power of prayer set ablaze by the fire of God and cast upon the earth. That is a powerful picture of prayer. According to God's word, according to the Bible that we believe is the truth, is the word of God, your prayer is powerful. 
your prayer is very powerful, even when it doesn't feel like it, which is a lot of the time. Every time you cry out for God's kingdom to come, every time you cry for God's power to be made manifest in a particular situation, every time you approach God with a heart that wants to do his will, it's like incense rising to him and unleashing power. Prayer is, prayer is very powerful. It's the Bible that tells us that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, that's James 5. It's the Bible that tells us that this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, it's 1 John 5. Your prayer is never wasted. You might not get the answer that you want in the timing that you want, but do you know what, that's not even the point. The goal of prayer is not to get what we want, the goal of prayer is to get what God wants. Your prayer is never wasted because he hears you. He hears you. And do you know what? It changes your heart when you pray because you're expressing your complete dependence on God for all things, and that has an effect on your heart. Prayer changes you and your heart. Prayer is very, very powerful. You know, I was thinking back to our last 40 days that we did two years ago, and the theme we chose for that time was King's DNA, as in the DNA of this church. Uh, And we did that in anticipation of a move to a second site, Because at the time, we had two meetings just here at the town centre. Because we wanted to focus in on who who we are as a church. What is our DNA? What are our core values? Because in a time of change, you can lose sight of those things. So we wanted to do that. There was one snag, which was that we didn't have a second sight. And there was nothing on the horizon. And so we prayed. The church prayed. And God moved. Because you know what? Just in the March next year, months later, not only had we found our second site, but we were launching our third meeting up in Hazelmere. Now, was that a coincidence? Not a chance. You know, the way it unfolded, the way it happened, we were all absolutely convinced this is God's hand in this. This is of the Lord. And we had plenty of checkpoints along the way, believe me. But this is of God. The church prayed and God moved. So let us not fall for the lie, because it is a lie, that prayer is ineffective. It does make a difference. The Bible assures us of that. And so we must pray. We must pray. We have a responsibility to pray. So now that we've established that, let me just turn to the point I want to leave us with today. Why pray? There's lots of different ways of answering this, but just look at the world around you. We need God. Nothing is more obvious. We need God. Look at our nation. We live in a deeply divided nation. Just in the last year and a little bit, we've seen two political campaigns, the referendum and the election, that have been polarized and polarizing in their effect, deeply divisive. And as a result, we are now, we're leaving the EU. We had a hung parliament last week. It looks like we're going to have a minority government. Um, there's lots of uncertainty around. There's a feeling of being a bit rudderless, a bit leaderless. There's a, and do you know what? The, the amount of bitterness and hatred Enmity that has been shown through all of these campaigns is really pretty shocking. There are divisions between leavers and remainers, between left and right, between young and old. Division everywhere, and so we must pray. We must pray, because you know what? Jesus still reigns above all of it. Jesus is still on his throne. We must pray. We live in a nation that has been traumatized by terrorist attacks, and it brings fear, it brings uncertainty, it brings bitterness, it brings anger, really, really bad things, and so we must pray. 
We must pray for God's kingdom to come in this nation because where else can we turn? Where else can this nation turn apart from God? No human leader has all the answers to the problems that we face. We need God. And as the church in this nation, it is down to us. We have the responsibility to stand in the gap for this nation and pray on behalf of the nation and for the nation. We must pray. And God's given us a mission here in Kings at this church. He's given us a mission. that His vision is unfolding before us for this church. We've been called to this town of High Wycombe to bring God's kingdom to the town of High Wycombe. God has many people in this place. We've heard that over and over and over again. People who are going to be saved through us, through his people here in High Wycombe. We're called to be part of spreading the gospel, part of spreading the, 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 the love and the hope the good news of Jesus Christ and seeing the kingdom of God advance in High Wycombe. We want to be bringers of life, the life that Jesus offers in every sphere, in every community in this town. We want to be helping people. We want to see people healed. We want to see many saved, reach many for Christ with the gospel and see communities transformed. We want this town to be saturated with God's people and with the love of Jesus and the salvation that he offers. That is what we want. And yet, we live in a nation that is hostile to God. We live in a nation that has turned away from God, where godless values are promoted and encouraged, even celebrated. And biblical morality has been rejected and is ridiculed and mocked as being out of date or bigoted or whatever you want to say. You know, you, you don't still seriously believe that, do you? No reasonable, sane person believes in that kind of thing anymore. What is wrong with you? Humanly speaking, we cannot reach this world ourselves. Because when you, when you look around and you see that kind of thing and those kind of attitudes around, and you don't have to look very far, then the task that's set before us, the mission we have, starts to feel pretty overwhelming. It starts to feel a bit impossible, a bit hopeless, and so we turn inwards. We stop focusing outwards. Humanly speaking, we cannot reach this town. We can't ourselves. It needs something supernatural, and so we must pray. If we want something supernatural, we must pray. If we go out and telling people about Jesus and telling people about a relationship with Jesus and we ourselves are not praying, it's a little bit like peddling a product that we don't really believe in. We must pray. We can only change the world when we go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because mission is far more God's idea than it is our idea. And so we must pray. We must pray to be filled with God's power, filled with the Spirit. We must pray for God's kingdom to come in this town. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy um, in the book of 1 Timothy. He's been talking to him about Timothy, about fighting the good fight. Fight the good fight um, Keep hold of faith and a good conscience. And he's saying, don't get, let your faith get shipwrecked by rejecting those things. And then at the beginning of chapter two, he says this, I urge then, in light of what I've just been saying, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. So Paul's saying, look, Timothy, to do what I'm telling you to do, to fight the good fight and keep hold of faith, do, to do all that God is calling you to do and to be and not be shipwrecked, and not be sidelined and kind of taken out of the game, to keep hold of faith and a good conscience, the first thing you have to do, the thing which I would tell you is of paramount importance that I would absolutely urge you to do, first of all, is to pray, not for yourself, but for others. He says, pray for everyone. 
Why? Well, we've established prayer is powerful, prayer is effective, but prayer is also the most loving thing we could do for someone. We're called to love God and love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. That is a fundamental calling on our lives. Prayer is probably the most loving thing we could do for someone because it recognizes that, yes, while we can help somebody without praying, actually the little that we can do in our very limited power is nothing compared to what God can do. It's nothing compared to that. It's the most loving thing we can do for another person, to intercede for them, to pray on their behalf, to ask God to work for them. Not that you don't then go and get involved yourself as well, but pray first and pray continually. Continue to pray for that person. But note it does say everybody. That means your enemies as well. It means those who've persecuted you. It means those who have wronged you, who have abused you. It means those who do terrible, terrible things. Because just as is the case for you, their only hope is salvation through Jesus. We must pray. We must pray for everyone. But Paul actually says a bit more. So I'm going to read 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 4 now. He says, I urge then that first of all that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. And then he clarifies a bit as well. He says, for kings and all those in authority, pray for them. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Pray for kings and those in authority. Let's understand what Paul is saying here in his context. Praying for and giving thanks for those in authority means Emperor Nero for Paul. I don't know what you know about Emperor Nero, but Paul is in prison writing this letter, awaiting trial before Nero. Nero executed Paul in the end. Nero tortured and murdered many, many Christians. Nero even arranged the murder of his own mother. So that's the kind of guy we're talking about here. Why would you pray for and give thanks for a king like that? Well, something that we know about Paul, and this came out very strongly during our Philippians series that we did last term, is that Paul's overriding concern, his whole goal in life is the advance of the gospel. That is it. That is the number one priority of Paul, is the gospel advancing. And he recognizes that from that point of view, from the point of view of the advance of the gospel, even a bad king is better than anarchy. Even a bad king is better than anarchy because he sees that the same emperor, Nero, who ends up executing him, executes Paul, does many terrible things, also maintains the peace in the provinces where the gospel is spreading like wildfire. Effectively, Paul is saying, make sure you pray for those in authority whose decisions create the conditions in which the gospel will spread. Our leaders can create conditions, wittingly or unwittingly, that will either advance the gospel or impede the gospel, and so we must pray. We must pray for those in authority. Now, when Paul says there to pray for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, what does that mean? We could, we could easily misinterpret that, couldn't we? Like Paul is saying, pray for those in authority so that they will leave you alone and you can have a quiet life. You Christians can have an easy life. He's not saying that. Um, because, well, look at his circumstances. That wouldn't make any sense. I mean, Jesus didn't come for our comfort, believe it or not. He didn't come to make us lead comfortable, quiet lives. How would that square with Paul's situation, being in prison and facing execution? How would that square with any Christian who suffers? How would that square with most of the disciples in the Bible who had nothing and most of them 
ended up being executed in pretty horrific ways. They were martyred for their faith. Jesus didn't come to make us comfortable. The gospel is that in good and bad situations, in comfort and in suffering, in plenty or in poverty, the gospel is that Jesus is enough. That in any situation of life, you come to Jesus and you find that he is enough. He is greater than circumstances. He is enough. He is preeminent. Jesus is supreme in all circumstances. Listen to what it says in Colossians 1 about Jesus. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He is supreme. He is preeminent. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's all about him. And it's all about making him known, which is why you can't separate verse 2 out from verses 3 and 4 in what Paul is saying to Timothy. Why pray for rulers and authorities who will keep the peace? Well, because, verses 3 and 4, this is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's about the gospel. It's about salvation. Peaceful, quiet lives is not the goal. The knowledge of the truth, the gospel, salvation, that is the goal. That is the main thing. And so in our day, in our nation, in our town, we must pray for those in authority. We must pray for godly influences. We must pray that their decisions that they make, whether they're good or bad decisions in our eyes, that their decisions will create the conditions in which the gospel will bear fruit. That is number one objective. That is the goal Conditions in which the name of Jesus will be lifted high. The name of Jesus will be made known and many, many people will be saved. Why pray? There are loads of reasons. There are loads of reasons, but the two are focused on today. One, because the prayers of the saints are powerful and effective, like incense rising to God, unleashing power. And two, because God has given us a mission that we can't achieve on our own. We cannot do this on our own. And so... We must pray. We must pray. And so let me encourage you as we get into these 40 days to really get stuck in, to enter fully into this season of prayer, to to get involved, to be expectant that God is going to do mighty things, that God is going to move. Let's have an expectancy. Let's be willing to be challenged. Let's be willing to seek God and to fast and to go deeper and above all to pray and then to pray, and then to pray. Let us be a people, let us be a church that prays. Amen. Amen.